Welcome to the People Powered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Lee Billet. If you employ staff, engage contractors, or rely on people to help deliver your products or services, you're in the right place. Join us each week as we dive in to uncover what makes people tick, learn the best strategies and tactics to build an amazing team, and most importantly, discover how you, the business owner or leader, can unleash the power of your people to help create the successful business you deserve. Let's get started. Hi, Christy Lee here. Welcome to episode number 175 of the People Powered Business Podcast. So good to have you here today. Today, I have a special guest joining us, so I'm not going to faff about. We're going to get straight into things. Today, we are talking about hiring and more specifically, how to avoid hiring disasters. Now, I have certainly had my share of hiring disasters in the past, and I know that Many of you will have experienced a hiring disaster yourself in your business as well, and there can be nothing more frustrating than realizing that the hiring decision you've just made is not going to work out, and having to refill roles is exhausting, time-consuming, costly, um, and just drains your energy. So today we're going to chat about avoiding hiring disasters. Now, for those of you familiar with um, what I teach inside People Powered HR and, and what we talk about here on the podcast as well, is that I'm very passionate about helping businesses not only hire the right people, but ensure that all the practices and processes they have in place beyond the hiring decision are exactly where they should be. And I have a system called the People Pathway, and PEOPLE is an acronym. And of course, hiring is an important part of that pathway. In fact, it represents the E in the People Pathway for Employee. The truth is, and I have found this to be true time and time again, you cannot outrun a bad hire. If you hire the wrong person, you, you're going to be dealing with a refill, a termination, a res- resignation, some kind of exit strategy, or a whole lot of headaches, neither of which are very good. So avoiding hiring disasters is key. Now, today I'm joined by a special guest, and this is part one of our conversation. I've broken up our chat into two parts. Let's be honest, Deb and I could have chatted all day long about this topic because we're both extraordinarily passionate about it and experienced in this field. So on today's episode, I'm joined by Deb Houston of Flox Consulting, who is a hiring strategist and mentor. And she's been supporting job seekers, hiring managers and business owners with every aspect of the hiring journey from strategy to interviews and everything in between for more than 17 years. So we've actually spent a very similar amount of time in this space. I really loved chatting to Deb. She has a supportive and consultative approach to recruitment. We share very similar values in how to approach recruitment and what strategies work. And her business creates a personalized process for each client that she works with. And she does love to have a laugh and a little bit of fun along the way. Now, in next week's part two episode, I'll give you a bit more background about Deb, but today is a chunky episode because we are unpacking the three or more biggest mistakes that Deb and I see businesses make when it comes to hiring them, and we unpack how to avoid them as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode and tune in again next week for part two of this conversation, where we're going to share some strategies for you to proactively put in place to make sure you're making great hiring decisions every time. So without further ado, let's welcome Deb Houston of Fox Consulting to the People Powered Business Podcast. Deb, hello. It's great to see you and I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. I know. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> I it's a topic we both know a lot about. 
So before we get into it, why don't you let everyone know about who you are, what you do, what your business is all about, so uh, we sort of know your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I spent 17 years as a recruiter and then as an entrepreneur myself, wanted to branch in to be my own CEO, biggest promotion ever. And I now call myself a hiring strategist and mentor. So what I do is I empower growing and scaling businesses to build their dream teams with confidence and ease. And I do that by working with business owners and leaders Um, who are seeking skilled staff, but I help them do that without the burden of those like hefty recruitment fees. So I bring my knowledge and impart it and help them succeed through those methods. So, um, and I support businesses at various growth stages and it's all about giving them the skills and strategies to hire effectively. So, and I do that through consultancy, um, you know, manage recruitment projects, and I also run training workshops where I actually teach business leaders and hiring managers how to hire and how to interview. So awesome. that's a top line overview of what I do. <laughs> um, what about you, Christy? You know, interestingly, our paths started very similarly. I stumbled into the world of recruitment in my early 20s. I went to a recruiter to help me find a job and they said, just come and work here. And I said, Okay. <laughs> Um, (laughs) It sounds crazy because I've just finished a degree in psychology, so I was on a totally different pathway. But I fell into it and loved a lot about it, mainly because of the human behaviour aspect and the understanding people aspects. Um, So I worked in recruitment for a period of time before, like you, stepping out on my own to become the CEO of my own consultancy practice. And I've been running that practice now for 17 years. So I've been in business a long time. And it started out as a recruitment agency where we were professional services specialists and had a really different approach to recruitment. Um, And, you know, we share this passion about really matching the right people in the right roles for businesses and then branched out into broader HR consulting in 2010 because I found that as recruiters, we could do all the right things in terms of finding the perfect person. But if everything beyond that was broken or non-existent, then both the company and the applicant weren't going to be too happy with us in the long run because things wouldn't work out. And I was really passionate about fixing that whole entire HR piece um, and not just the recruitment piece. But I still work with clients on helping them make great hiring decisions. I've got an online membership called People Powered HR, where like you, I support people in learning how to do these things really well in their own businesses. And I also do uh, leadership coaching and consulting work as well. And I think we both share the same passion for imparting all the things we've learned throughout all of our career to our clients to help them be better at hiring great people because it can make such an important difference um, to their businesses. Absolutely. And I think as well, there's more, there's so much more to hiring and recruiting process. Mm. What people think, like it is a it is a marketing campaign, isn't it? Like absolutely, you show up the, the words you use, how you make people feel, can directly impact your reputation in the market. And if you get it wrong, then those costly hiring mistakes, as I call them, can be really hard to rectify. Um, so it's all about avoiding them rather than having to deal with them further down the line, isn't it? And I think that's 
that's something that people really need to realise, the implications it can have long-term if you don't Absolutely. Do it. And, and if you've ever had that experience where you've had a hiring disaster, you'll know <laughs> the pain that that actually is to deal with. It's it's really stressful. It, it can, you know, keep you up at night. You've got to stress about it. You've got to have difficult conversations. Your team are unhappy with you. The flow-on effects really can impact your business in so many different ways. And it's part of the reason Deb and I wanted to chat today about how to avoid these kind of hiring disasters because if we can stop them happening at the beginning, everything gets easier. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, like when you're, if you're a smaller growing business as well, a scaling mm. business, you don't necessarily have the bigger, more established reputations mm-hmm. as the larger companies. So they can probably get away with making a, a few mistakes or yep. hiring disasters. They can cover it up easier. But when you're growing, then it can really directly affect the success, can't it, of of your business? It's so true because when you're a big corporate company and you've got 5,000 staff, one terrible hire, you know, it's a numbers game. It will have an impact, but it's not so significant. Where if you've got a team of five, and I work exclusively with small businesses who tend to have up to 30 staff, one in five, that's a fifth. That's 20% of your team that are problem that's going to have a far bigger impact than than in a bigger business so it is a numbers game in that respect yeah so I totally agree (laughs) definitely so today we want to chat about how you can avoid a hiring disaster and Deb and I um, are going to share with you our experiences some of the mistakes that we most commonly see business owners leaders CEOs hiring managers make and some strategies that we like to use to help businesses avoid these kind of disasters so I thought that we could both share some of maybe three of the biggest mistakes that we see most commonly made and you and I combined we were chatting we've got sort of more than 40 years experience in hiring people we've seen more than our fair share of strange and disastrous things absolutely I think we could probably write a book couldn't we (laughs) we absolutely could write a book it would be hilarious (laughs) thing is as well I think you know we've lived and breathed this for Mm -hmm. years so, um, you know, I think if you refer back to Malcolm Gladwell, he says once you've established seven, um, obviously over 10,000 hours in something, you're classed as an expert. I calculated in my career, I've spent over 40,000 hours in managing interview and hiring processes. So unless you've actually been a recruiter mm. or a talent acquisition specialist, then, you know, we're not expecting that, you know, small business owners or, you know, leaders would have the level of knowledge that we mm. do. So, yeah, um, yeah, really excited to share more about what we've seen and then mm. help other people avoid that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it's so interesting because I think because we live and breathe it and do it day in and day out, I know that I find that I sort of had an expectation that everyone kind of knew how to do this and, and forgetting yeah. that it had become second nature to me and I'd fallen into it in a very young part of my career and uh, was thrown in the deep end agency environments if you've yeah. not been in them before are uh, um, interesting places to say the least so it really is a baptism of fire and you need to learn fast and it is that repetition like anything else that Mm. gets to this point and you just before we jumped on to record you were sharing a stat with me um, which I found was really interesting about the lack of training we give people in these skills. So um, I was running a training seminar a couple of weeks ago for some hiring managers teach them how to interview and I always I love numbers I love statistics Mm. I think it really tells a story. And I was looking through a LinkedIn global report that they'd run, and it stated that out of all hiring managers who completed the report, only 17% 
said that they'd received official training on how to hire and interview. And it's really interesting because when I speak to my clients, then, you know, we joke that as a leader, your important, the most important asset in a team or business is your people. Yet people get promoted into managerial roles and they're not taught how to do it. So no. it's really interesting, isn't it? How it's fascinating. Yeah. It frustrates me so much. And I talk about this a lot with my clients that you start a business or you get promoted into a leadership role and you're given absolutely no training. I mean, I'm surprised at 17%. That's probably swayed a little because yeah. of the big corporates that actually might do a bit of that. But no one gives you the training. There's no manual on how to be a great leader. And there's certainly you know, no gospel on how to make great hiring choices every time. It is a matter of experience and honing your skills and building some fundamental skills, I think, is really important. Absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, it's a a big wide world out there. (laughs) Yes, there's so much. Well, let's start with the disaster stories so that we can finish with some more positive strategies for people to implement. When you see the hiring managers you work with making disastrous hiring decisions, what are the three biggest mistakes that you see them make? You know, the most common threads that seem to pop up for you over and over again. Yeah. So for me, um, definitely is not taking the time to specifically think about what they actually want and need. Um, you know, I think let's just talk about, um, let's pick a role, a sales representative, for example. I need a sales representative. They don't take the time to specifically think about what it is this person's going to be doing. What do they need? How does that, back, what are the strengths across the team? And I think, they jump straight into it without thinking about it. And then what happens is throughout the interview process, all of these applicants are underwhelming them because they don't really know what they're looking for. So if you don't know what you're looking for, you're going to miss the best person in front of you. And they don't always come in the way that you're going to expect them to be. So it's all about that specificity mm-hmm. and just really getting clear and is a second layer to that. It's understanding the difference between want and need. So important. So important. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like, I want this. Yeah, but why? Why do you want that? And is it realistic? And what is it you really need? And I think when you start to separate the two, you really start to go, ah, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's one of the biggest things I see is rushing into things and not really taking the time to think things through. Mm, I think that clarity piece is so important. I I totally agree with that, I think. Um, And that difference between what and need helps create that clarity because once you're clear that these are the things I actually need, it gives you a really laser sharp focus when you're looking at applicants. So you stop getting distracted by the well-worded cover letter or the interesting place they last worked, which aren't actually that important in terms of whether they can do the job. And you start really focusing in on the things I need in this applicant, which means you're going to create a better shortlist and ultimately Mm. be interviewing better people, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I think the more specific you are, then, you know, you can have a candidate that's perfectly aligned to your job description, but if they're not aligned with your values mm. and they don't have the same vision as you, then, you know, so even things like that, it's really important to think about up front and it's about those behaviours. It's not what people say, it's how they say it as well, isn't it? So, yeah, um, but yeah I think a lot of it comes back to that, not really mm. 
And that could be time poor as well. You know, by the time you're coming to hire, you probably needed the headcount a while ago, but you yep. waited till, especially with the scaling business size. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So what's um what's your first one that springs to mind, Christy? My first one is a little similar and it is creating the wrong role or hiring for the wrong role. And I see this a lot when, especially small businesses that are growing, that sometimes want help in 10 different areas or even two different areas that just don't actually align. And so they go to the market looking for like a unicorn because you can't find someone that's great at marketing and great at finance. They're not the same skill set. And so they create the wrong role. And and what I see then that sort of flow-on effect of that is they end up with more frustration down the track because they haven't actually looked at what role does my business actually need. So similarly to you in terms of the clarity of what you need in the position, it's the clarity of what position you need in your business. And I find creating the wrong role is a real headache for business owners. Another one that I see classically happen is they want to clone themselves and they want to hire someone just like them. Mini me. (laughs) You do not need a mini me in your business. I can guarantee it that if if a client ever comes to me and says, I just want to hire someone just like me, the brakes are on. <laughs> We're back It's all over. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's all of the things. And, you know, there's a million reasons that you don't want that. But one of them is if they're just like you, they're going to go and start their own business. Yeah. So it's it's getting the role right to begin with before, like well before you even start the interviewing, the advertising, the thinking about who you're targeting, creating the wrong role or going out to market for the wrong role leads to a disastrous recruitment experience exactly and I think as well it's that you know that old saying jack of all trades master of none Mm -hmm. it is much better to if you're say for example wanted to combine a marketing and finance role you'd be better off hiring a part-time marketer and finding a finance VA temporarily mm-hmm. to help you or something and keep the two very separate. Um, yeah, because you need to play to people's strengths as well. Um, you know, a marketer right. might not be passionate about finance, so they're automatically going to put that to one side, aren't they? So, mm. yeah. And those two things are the ones I always use as the example because no one naturally likes both of those things. Like it's, yeah. you always are a more creative or a more analytical Um you know, and so just, and they're often the things that small businesses do need assistance with at some point in their growth. Um, but I've seen these in big businesses just as much as well, where they just haven't thought through the role properly. Yeah. And there's another layer to that as well is I get from a financial perspective, you want somebody to come into the business and do as much as possible. However, really, if you're wanting people to do two roles... <laughs> With one headcount, yep. surely that should be a higher salary. So it doesn't always, you know, you've got to pay for the role, yes. not pay someone for doing the role. Yeah, so exactly, you know, exactly think, right. Yeah, that's mm. definitely a, a, a mistake. I see a lot. I agree mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, What's your second one? Um. Okay. So my second one is around not asking the right questions in the interview. Uh, <laughs> and I've got um I've so I think what people do is and again it comes down to lack of experience and knowledge and understanding is they go okay I've got to interview this question I've got to interview this person and um, what interview questions shall I ask oh these three questions are quite popular in interview I'll just ask them without really thinking what they're wanting to know so I'm um, free and it's so I always say reverse engineer so go back to your 
planning of what it is that you're looking for in an applicant and then think about the behaviors and the skill sets that you're looking for and then work backwards to craft a question that is going to lead you to the answer. So one of my favorite examples of bad interview questions is give me an example of a time when you've had to work under pressure. Okay. Work under pressure because you've got unrealistic expectations, because it's a low budget, because I'm time pressured, it's a tight deadline, I'm understaffed. There are so many different reasons you could have for being under pressured. Mm. But the applicant then has to take a stab in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Think of an example. And then the hiring manager will then go away and go, oh, I just don't know if the right they'll be able to deal with the pressure of this role. Yeah, when you're giving them no context. Do you know my least favourite, I've got many least favourite interview questions, but one of them is, where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> five years, but not 10 years. Certainly not. Yeah, and even five years, I think these days with the market changing the way it does, no one's giving you an honest answer about that. And let's face it, I think 99.9% of people would go, I'm on a desert island having won multi-billions of dollars on the lotto. Yeah, if they were being honest, that's what they'd be saying. So I just think there are so many time-wasting interview questions out there um, that just are frustrating because they take away from really great questions we should be asking. Like, for example, um, you know, if you want to ask like a uh, under pressure question, it might be that um, you're a growing company. There isn't many. You're, you're still setting up processes. Um, so, you know, it might be how does somebody operate in ambigu- under ambiguity um, with little information and under a tight deadline? So a better way of asking that question might be. Have you got an example of a time when you've had to work to a tight deadline, um, but you've had very limited information to, you know, achieve the desired outcome? What did you do and how did you handle it? That's going to give you a very specific answer to you for you to be able to qualify how they perform in that role. So it's that's what I mean. It's about think about what it is that you're really doing and then yep. work. To assess and it. it's getting back to that specificity that you spoke about earlier as well. And not only do I need someone that is good under pressure, what's the pressure look like here? And, and getting really clear about that because the quality of the questions you craft around that are going to determine the quality of the answers you get from the applicant. Absolutely. A bad question gets a bad answer. Yeah. So true. Yeah. yeah. My other favourite line is it takes a good interviewer to mm. make a good interviewee. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, if we're asking shallow questions, we get shallow answers. We could write a whole list. Yes, we could. We could. In fact, our list of terrible interview questions could be lengthy given what we've uh, witnessed. Absolutely. Good. Mm. What's your second one? My second one is looking for and then ultimately hiring the wrong person. So this gets a little bit back to that cultural and values fit that you spoke about earlier. And I see people focus on the technical aspects of the role, particularly in some industries and some roles more than others, and they get so caught up in the experience that the person brings and the technical skills that they've got and maybe their results on exams and those kind of things that they really don't pay any or enough attention to the type of person they want to hire in their business. And they give no weighting to getting to understand the person's values in the recruitment process and the interviewing, to understanding what values alignment looks like, to getting clear on their company culture so that they can seek out people that actually are a great fit 
um, to talking language that's going to attract the right people in their advertising. And I see this to be one of the this is a surefire, this person isn't going to work out if you're hiring the wrong person. I don't care how technically brilliant someone is, if the values alignment is really separate to your own and the cultural fit is not there, not only are they not going to work out, but they do actually have a risk of creating toxicity in your workplace and really negatively impacting your current amazing team. And I see people then hold on for these to these people for way too long because of their technical brilliance but it's all been undermined by the the lack of values alignment. Yeah, you're so true. And I think as well, um, with that kind of value piece, what's um, what's that saying? Higher for attitude. Mm, Train for skills. Um, Yeah, I think culture and values is huge. It's interesting as well because the job market has changed, isn't it? And candidates themselves are now looking for that cultural and value alignment more than anything. It's particularly important to the younger generations that are now coming through the workforce and even starting to step step up into leadership roles. They will not take on positions where they don't feel there is a a contribution piece of values alignment where they can see that they're making a difference. And, And it doesn't have to be charitable or, you know, changing the world kind of things. It's just that they can feel that sense of, I'm contributing to something here. This is, I feel like part of something is very important to them. And because in the current job market anyway, the applicants really are in the driver's seat. They will make decisions based on that far more readily right now than they can when there are fewer jobs around. And I don't, you know, I don't think the market we're in is going to change dramatically in the very near future. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, it is, it's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. You know, their interview, the candidate is interviewing the company as much as the company is interviewing them. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, that value cultural alignment goes both ways. You know, they need to know it's right for them as well as you knowing it's right for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Really important. What's your third big mistake? You know what? I've got I've got two. <laughs> Give us both, third and fourth. <laughs> so um it's kind of linked to what we were just talking. So one of them is hiring managers and companies focusing too much on what they want. Mm. And they focus so much on kind of like almost interrogating the applicant. They forget to understand what the applicant's true goals and desires are. And that's how they can then miss the top talent because as we've just said the applicant is also interviewing the company and if you're just making it all about you all about you what you want what you need and what this applicant is like making them jump through hoops then that's not going to attract the right person and I think you've got to be able to speak to your applicants goals and desires Mm. because you know their job search journey they don't want to be doing this every year you know, it's a big move for them. So they want to be able to see that there's a future in this role and the company. And if you really want to sell your opportunity to them, you've got to understand what that future goal is and then show them how you and your business can help them get there. Mm. That's a big mistake that I see that leads to you losing the right candidate. Yeah. Someone else is selling that dream to them better, mm-hmm. wording it better, then they're going to get them across the line. Mm. So that comes to like selling yourself, not being complacent. Um, and, you know, 
treating it like <laughs> treating it like dating yeah. you, know, you think about it you date somebody you get to know them and you know when you hire someone it is the equivalent of going into like a long-term relationship with someone yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah you know make sure that it is aligned and it can work long term because you spend a lot of time with these people so it's so true and I think this is again comes back to those quality of those interview questions if you have asked the right questions to understand their motivations their objectives their desires you can't possibly pitch to them how your business is the right business to help them get there yeah. so you've got to have done those that hard work in the interview to have the intel you need to present this as a really great opportunity to this applicant and I do see and I it might be partly generational but I do I do see a lot of um, hiring managers and business owners think oh you know, they should be thrilled to be working here and, you know, why do I have to sell myself to them? It's such a different market. Yeah, and complacency doesn't mm. win. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. They're not going to – there's an assumption that they'll know that you're the right company to get them there, but you've got to lay that out for them. That's exactly right. Exactly. There's a company um, I was I used to recruit for and they were renowned for having like six, seven-stage interview processes <laughs> and not one of those processes was an environment for the candidate to interview then. And, you know, people would get to the end of the process and they'd be like, how many more hoops do I have to jump through? Yep. Surely I've never had any chance to ask any questions. It's been all about me proving myself. And then sure enough, people don't make it through. They go elsewhere. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I recruited for a company that had a very similar six to seven stage interview process. And it was a nightmare. I think they thought that they were so important. It was a very big global business um, with a very big brand. And maybe at a period of time, they were so important that they could do that and people would jump through the hoops. But I guarantee if I went and spoke to their hiring managers right now in their HR team, things must look very different because applicants would not put up with that in this market. Yeah. Exactly. This one used to say the same as well. But if they're interested in this company, they'll see it through. They won't yes. interview anywhere else. I was like, yeah, it doesn't work like that. It's not a game of survivor to see who makes it through the interview process. Yeah. Although it's a good test of grit, I guess. So on Isn't the flip it? side. Yeah. And um, what's your fourth? No, you say your third okay. one. Well, just in case you never know. <laughs> Might be the same. My third one that actually surprises a lot of people is hiring at the wrong time. And setting itself up for absolute disaster from the beginning. So this can happen in a couple of ways. This can happen in what you were referring to earlier where they've left it too long to hire, that the person is coming into absolute bedlam and starting on the back foot and things should have started three, six months ago. The other time I see this happen is hiring at a time when the business has no capacity because of something going on to onboard effectively and the person is just left floundering. And then this onboarding process, and this is part of you know what I'm really passionate about from the hiring decision onwards, if you don't get the onboarding right, you've got a 50% plus chance of losing the applicant in the first or the new employee by that stage in the first 12 months. So the things that happen from the moment they accept a job offer onwards are really important and onboarding that first interaction with your business as an employee, it's like anything, it's your first, your own, you know, you only get one chance to make a great first impression. And onboarding is that. And I, I worked with a business recently and they were looking for this really, you know, it's a small business. It had to be the perfect person. And we found a great person. We all agreed this was perfect for their business. But they started the person at a time when they were in the middle of a very, very big promotion, a promotion that required all hands on deck, 
all staff to be totally focused on that. So this person came into the business at a time where no one could give them any attention and were just expected to kind of flounder their way around. And not surprisingly, they weren't meeting expectations because they didn't know what expectations were for them. And they felt totally disjointed from the rest of the team who for four to six weeks after they started were totally distracted on this big project. And so I think the timing piece is actually more important than we give it credit for and timing it so that we're not hiring too late because that's problematic. We're not hiring too early so someone's not sitting around twiddling their thumbs because there's not enough work and we're not hiring at a time when we're not going to be able to give this person the best start in the business. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that onboarding is Mm. so important. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's um, the statistic, isn't it, is um, if a, st- a structured onboarding plan, onboarding process can in- ensure, was it increase the success of your hire by 84% and ensure they stay past the 12 months? Yes. Yeah, yeah there's some great Gallup studies on that as well. And it really does show that you're almost doubling the chance they're not going to make it. 12 months if the onboarding isn't right. And I think, too, a lot of small businesses think onboarding is just for big businesses, and it's totally not. Every business at every size should be doing some kind of formal, structured onboarding and orientation type of programming. And onboarding starts the day of the job offer. Yes. 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 (laughs) It's not the day they start. It takes that. Yeah. Especially in this market, because I call that the high-risk pre-start zone, the bit before between when they've said yes and they start. If you're faffing around in the background and not talking to them through that period and getting them excited, they're getting other job offers. They're getting counter-offers from their current employer. They're getting other people contacting them, recruiters contact them. There is other opportunity out there for them. And if you haven't tied them in in that period, there is every chance they won't be there on your, your planned start date. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, if you've done this big, I'm trying, you know, woo exercise through the interview process, you've been like, you know, getting back to them quickly, mm-hmm. saying you are, blah, 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 offer acceptance, radio silence. Yes. Consistency. Correct. <laughs> yep. Massive red flag. So interesting. And I do, you know, and I think it's human nature. We kind of forget, we're like, yep, that job's done, bow around that nothing's happening, you know, things are happening. You're getting computers for them. You're getting a login set up, setting up their desk or their workstation, but they don't know any of that's going on if you're not communicating. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, and the timing thing, um, it's just, yeah. Mm. We don't pay enough attention to timing. Yeah. And it can make all the difference. Yeah, and it's got to be timing, not just from the business perspective, hasn't it, but from your perspective. Yes. You've got to be mentally and physically available for that person. Mm. You know, it's things like being able to clear your diary. Yes. And that person's your priority for that first one, two weeks. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which all comes down to timing as well. So you probably wouldn't look to hire if you have peaks and troughs in your business. Exactly. You want to hire before the peak so they can help with the peak or wait and just sit it out because it's it's never a great time. I've got a client I'm working with who's onboarding right now as we speak. And they saw two weeks ago that the time that they want to give this onboarding wasn't going to be right. And so we've been proactively putting things in place to communicate with the person to get other people involved in the onboarding who maybe weren't planning to be involved. So this person's got all the support they need, even though it may not be by their direct manager for as much of the time, so that the onboarding doesn't fall apart just because the manager's been diverted. Yeah, no, it's huge. And so what was your fourth? My final one was around unconscious bias. And um, good or badly, 
letting unconscious bias drive hiring decisions. Mm. So, um, with that, you know, the good or bad thing, the key ones are affinity bias. You know, you automatically like and feel connected to people who are similar to you or you've got a connection, which comes to that mini-me. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, um, they went to the same school as your brother or sister. You kind of, you know, that network. You all of a sudden, oh, my God, you went to what school or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. such and such. And or the other one is the halo horn effect is, you know, the candidate does says one thing or you fixate on one thing that you love and then you miss all the red flags yes. or on the flip side, you focus on a red flag and miss all the good um, and confirmation bias as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I see happen a lot and it misses good candidates. So the confirmation bias piece is picking up on something on their resume, creating a story before you know any facts um create seeing it as a red flag and then you go out of your way in the interview to prove that your concern is right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to really understanding what the situation is and things like that so but yeah unconscious bias I see as a big leader in bad hiring decisions and I say that can be for good or bad so mm. with that, it's just a case of being across unconscious bias, you know, ensuring that you're basing your decisions on facts, not just feeling, because mm-hmm. unconscious bias is all led back to assumptions. Yeah. And if you've done NLP, our assumptions are from our own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because your last employee left because of xyz and they had a similar background to someone you're interviewing it doesn't mean that that person's going to do the same yeah. um, and things like that so i think you know it's just being consciously aware of your unconscious bias because i see it happen so much yeah and it's how businesses yeah. build teams that are all alike and therefore you've got all people with all the same strengths and then you've got this giant weakness in the business because you've got no one that can actually implement all the amazing ideas that your team keep coming up with. Or I do see, I've actually seen businesses where if you looked at a photo of their entire team, it's like they've tried to hire people that just all look the same. They're all about the same age. They all have similar features. They all look a little, and it's, you, and I'm sure they've done it subconsciously. Um, but they've obviously been influenced by that. And perhaps that's led to some, inappropriate you know not the best hiring decisions in those moments and you do really have to watch it because it is so subconscious yeah it is and that's where I think sometimes there's a mistake between understanding culture and value alignment Mm -hmm. and you know hiring a team of exact same people so yes they're not the same thing Correct. And I think you've got to have different strengths in the team. Like I always say to hiring managers, hire for your weaknesses. Yeah. Like if you're really good at strategy, for example, but you're not good at um, having a project plan to execute and you're interviewing someone who is the reverse to you, that's what you need. Mm -hmm. Across the team, you've got somebody who's not good at conflict resolution and then maybe hire somebody who is because yes. they can train the rest or be that go-to person. Um, so I always say that that's important as well. So Yeah, and that's what we should be doing as great leaders. Our job is, is to find the best people to fill all the gaps, not for us to be the solution, everything. So, um, yeah, I think that, that is actually really important as well. There's, you know, I mean, we could 
unpack a thousand really, but I think these are all the really big themes that we would see a lot of the big mistakes centre around. 